I'm Andrew Wilton. And I'm Carol Lawless. And welcome to the Valentine's edition of Seven Questions Peterborough. on the show and uh, I'm really excited he's coming. Chris is one of those people I love running into. He's always got a great story. He's so literary. He's funny. He's into music. He's just a great guy. Yeah, I met Chris at, uh, I think the first time at St. Verona's where he works, uh, sharing his knowledge of wine with customers and his knowledge of wine is so vast that uh, you and I were talking about uh, Valentine's Day coming up and we decided wouldn't it be great to figure out what kind of wines we should be buying for Valentine's Day. Well, we're going to ask Chris and here he comes. joining us on a Sunday. Yeah. This is something new for us. This is really great and I do want to start by saying this is not, uh, Carol, I'm not changing the name to The Wilton Show. Oh, okay. I've been thinking about it <laughs> and just having Wiltons from now on. Oh, okay. But uh, we'll see how it goes. You might run out. I might run out. There, I don't know. There are many of us in town, are there? <laughs> well, thanks for springing that on me yeah, to yeah, kick off the to, show. Yeah, I just wanted to let you know. <laughs> So we have big seven questions for you, Chris. Mm, okay. And uh, Carol, you're starting with the first one. Christopher, who I, I always want to refer to you as Magnus because... Yes. You are, and so before I ask you the first question, I'm going to jump off the script here. Um, where does that come from, Magnus Pitt? <clears throat> it comes from uh, leaving Trent. So, you know, you get your institutional email and whatever it was, I can't even C. Wilton at trentme.ca and you know that was the early days of email and internet and um, so it was running out and it was that was when webmail had just started and my friend who was a bit of a prankster shall we say she um, registered my name in all of its different permutations at Hotmail Yahoo, whatever webmail there was, free webmail, and then gave me this. She gave you this title? Email. Okay. And said, this is your new email. Ah, okay. And so I could not even register my own name. Wow. It's kind of bizarre. It's uh, Magnus Pym is a character from a John le Carre novel. Okay. He was the perfect spy. Oh, right. Okay. Oh. BBC. Strange, but however, she did misspell Pym. Oh. So, in the in the novel, it's P Y M. Okay. And I'm P I M, but it's great because it'll because you know spelling mistakes make good things unique. Exactly. So that's where I've had it for well since '96. Wow. Wow. Okay. Cool. It's fun. Yeah. So I do. I I refer to him as Magnus and well, I saw that permutations in of the word 
oh, magnanimous one. Well, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. You know, just yeah. having so fun. So that's, that's yeah. where that comes from. Okay, cool. Like, yeah. All right. Well, Christopher is a wine guy. He is, you're a sommelier. I am. Yes. And so our first question is about wine. Mm. And Chris, we want to know, what's the last bottle of wine you purchased for yourself? So I purchased the Antica Herpina Taurasi 2010 from the Lansdowne LCBO. Okay. And Tell us about it. Tell us a little bit about it. Well, uh, Taurasi is a region in southern Italy, um, you know, really right where the ankle bone is on the boot, and makes some of the most glorious wines in the world uh, from a grape called Alianico. And Alianico is... You know, people love Alianico because of its ability to age. Mm. And this just happens to be a bottle that's 2010. So I saw it there and I was like, oh, and it was on sale, so I bought it. Now, it wasn't cheap. It was, I think, 30 bucks or something, but it was $5 off. And yeah, so I bought that. And... What would you drink it with? <laughs> well, uh, knowing the wine, and I don't know this particular bottle, but knowing Alianico, it's quite robust. Mm. Uh, you know, Pretty intense, lots of tannins. I'd probably want something like Osobuco with it, or mm. something meaty, or stewy, or you know, it's definitely not a salad wine. Mm. <laughs> As I've aged, like the wine, I find that I love meaty wines. Mm. I, I think, oh, I'd like a wine that I have to almost eat with a knife and a fork. Yes. <laughs> a meaty yeah. wine. Yeah, it's just, it's just so full in your mouth. It's just amazing. Those yeah, flavors. and this wine is like that, except it has some age. Right, it's, it's eight, mm. eight years old mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as wines age, they become lighter mm. and more elegant. Mm. Um, so you know, it's 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 a funny thing for me because a lot of people talk about wanting like big, intense wines, and it's like, well, if you look at fine wine, what fine wine really is, it really you have the intensity, but the bigness narrows down, mm. and red wines drop their body as as tannin and sediment, and that's why you get your little sediment layers in aged wine and they actually become quite light in a way you know mm. and so mm. I don't know that's the beauty of it for me and this mm. one is you know apparently quite uh, floral and you know developing all of these what we call tertiary aromas wow it just makes me actually makes me want to go to Italy just to try <laughs> it right there go right to that ankle <laughs> right to the ankle I want to hear you say Alianico again. Yes, which means uh, from uh, Greece. Okay. Uh, because uh, so many Italian grape varieties, they believe, came initially oh. from the Greek colonization of yeah. Italy. Um, and especially that was where the Greeks landed, just down in the south, and then mm. a lot of the vines spread. Yeah. I think they figured out that Alianico is not from Greece. It's actually a native Italian variety, but you'll find Greco, Di Tufo, mm-hmm. all these all these. Greek names. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. Nice. Okay, question number two. Oh, jeez. <laughs> so, Chris, you've worked as a server and a bartender. Yes, I continue to work as a server. And you continue to work as a server and a bartender. And we were thinking, what's the most surprising thing a guest has ever said to you while you've been working? So, this was kind of hard to answer um, or think about. I um. I have one story, though, that I'm going to relate to you because it's a story that I tell occasionally. Uh, it was working as a bartender at the Only Cafe many moons ago, and uh, a young uh, woman um, 
I was serving her and she asked, uh, who's that? You know, in the only, there's all these pictures and behind me was a picture of Marilyn Monroe. And I said, oh, that's Marilyn Monroe. And, she, and then she said, who's Marilyn Monroe? Oh, wow. <laughs> and I was flabbergasted. Mm -hmm. You know, she must have been, let's say, 19 or 20. Mm -hmm. and, and I just, you know, I understand that Marilyn Monroe died in 63, well before this woman was born, but <clears throat> I, I was born in 71. So yeah, she also died. Yeah, there's yeah. a there's a kind of cultural vocabulary mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. people have and, you know, an iconic image of someone that, you know, you would sh show a picture and everyone would mm -hmm. go, oh yeah, that's Marilyn Monroe. It was just, it, I don't know, it, it, it's somehow illustrative of something to me, you know, and I don't know what that is necessarily, but perhaps it's, I don't know, maybe a kind of interest in the world about you. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, is it, it, I was thinking, is it a, is, was it a timestamp for you where you realize, oh, there's a, a switch, mm. in, a generational switch between yourself and younger yes. people. Although I would think a lot of young people would know who Marilyn Monroe is. Well, that's, so. that was, I think initially on the face of it, it's a timestamp. Mm -hmm. And then you think about it a little bit more and you go, well, she died before I was born, mm -hmm. or, or Jack Kerouac, or yeah. I don't know. Mm -hmm. You know, there's so many examples of, let's say, um, cultural figures that um, are not necessarily uh, in contemporary use as currency yeah. mm -hmm. um, that you still kind of know about. But maybe it, but maybe it is. Maybe it's, it's the change, you know, because for me, you know, we had posters when I was a child oh, yeah. of Marilyn Monroe. And so... Well, even Mar <clears throat> Marilyn Monroe movies were playing mm. on yeah. the TV when I was a kid. Mm. Yeah. I think that's highly unusual. Mm. I, but I also have encountered that where somebody has asked me, who are the Beatles? And right. that freaked me out. <clears throat> right. That because... really, because I thought, mm. well, all music. Mm. Like, so much music of, of rock and roll, contemporary music comes from the Beatles and so it's yeah that's very interesting because you know I would say I'm on kind of like maybe the a cusp or the tail end of, of your generation and you know so I grew up with the Beatles and my mm -hmm. parents listened to the Beatles mm -hmm. and so that was just a part of my world you know and I don't know if if you know uh, Millennials or whatever other generations are experiencing that because there is this thing that I've noticed lately where people are like the Beatles suck or that they're or they're or they're overrated and I'm just like we would never we would never in a million years have thought that because they were so influential and you know Lennon and McCartney as songwriters and all this stuff. Well, I was just... interested by my own kids are <clears throat> excuse me in their 20s and there was a phase with both of them where they were listening to Beatles music mm. and I know there was a movie that came out about seven eight years ago Oh, that was all that had all Beatles songs in it, and it was called. Oh, like a, it was a, across the across universe. Across the universe, yeah. And it was all Beatles mm. songs, yeah. and that really turned my kids onto yeah. the Beatles. Mm. So maybe they need something to turn people onto well, yeah. Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is our Valentine's edition, so Carol has a question for you. Number well, three. What's the best wine for lovers? And if you're not lovers yet, and you hope that's the end result, Chris, <laughs> tell us. 
Well, the, the easy answer is every wine. Um, <laughs> at, least, at least for the latter part of your question. Um, it's, uh, it's difficult because, you know, there are things like um, in, in Beaujolais, there's, um, you know, there's different levels of Beaujolais. There's Beaujolais Nouveau, which a lot of people are uh, familiar with, um, which is the, the new wine released every, uh, every November, the third Thursday of November every year. It's the fresh wine. And it's quite cheap. And, you know, you just like, as the French say, glue, 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 right? Mm. You just drink it. Um, and then there's uh, Beaujolais Village. And then there's there are villages in Beaujolais. There are 10 of them. Uh, and they're named. And they're the, the crew Beaujolais. And one of those villages is Saint-Amour. So that would be like an easy mm. kind of quaint answer in a way, you know, because of like, of course, it's love, et cetera, et cetera. But <clears throat> the one, the wine that I want to uh, answer with is Merlot. Oh. So Merlot has, you know, let's say been maligned um, <laughs> a, a fair bit, especially by the movie Sideways. Um, you know, a lot of people, that movie, strangely enough, or maybe it's not so strange, but it skyrocketed sales of Pinot Noir in the States particularly. And, and some people credit a little plummet of Merlot to the movie. Now Merlot was maybe trending down for a while there, but um, it's one of the great grapes of the world, uh, especially when it's done right. And uh, the wine that really kind of pushed me down this wine path was mostly Merlot. Huh. Mm -hmm. It was a, a Pomerol, which is in Bordeaux, uh, called the Vieux Chateau Sautin. And when I, when I tasted that wine, it was, it was like sex in a bottle. Mm -hmm. It was, it was, voluptuous it was sensuous and merlot has these this ability to have all these kind of like chocolate notes and um, blackberry aromas and it's very smooth and velvety and vieux chateau sautin is is quite known for being so silky smooth and it's just it would be you know the wine that i would choose if i was to seduce nice a person I, I'm revved up yeah. right now just hearing that. <laughs> I was thinking as you were talking, we've got to post all these names of the wines on the website mm. so people can look and, and find them. They've got a couple of days to do it. Now, now Vieux Chateau Sautin is in the LCBO, but it's oh. not inexpensive. Yeah. But if, if you're making an investment in love... Well, there, that's the thing. That's the thing, right? So the 2004 is available, and it's $750. Oh, Ooh. great. The, 20, the 2013 is available, and it's 250 Okay. Okay. A little bit more accessible. But if you can't afford Vieux Chateau Sautin, then um, there's some great Merlots um, from uh, California. Duckhorn Merlot is quite nice. From Napa, and it's around seventy-five. Okay, I think I can get that for Sylvia. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, Sylvia's not listening to this. Okay, number four. Can you tell us about an experience that changed you as a person? I don't, and I don't know how to answer this question because I have so many pivotal experiences. Um. Which one? So I'm gonna, I'll tell you a story. It was during my days at Trent. We went on a field trip to the National Gallery. During this time, this was the early 90s, um, there was a bit of a, a hullabaloo at the National Gallery around a particular painting. 
Barnett Newman's Voice of Voice Fire. Of fire. Oh, right, yeah. Because they bought it for two point one million right. or something. Okay. Like that. Oh my gosh, yeah. And I had an experience with this painting. I had a what I would term a religious experience mm. with this painting. Mm. Um, I, you know, entered where it's really how they I think framed the painting because I don't know if you've seen it, but it is quite tall. And they mm -hmm. framed it in this long gallery at the end, and there was the voice of fire, which is really, you know, a you know duochromatic painting, like yeah. you know, right? It's just it's blue and red, and but somehow Barnett Newman figured out. I don't know how he did this, but you know, I walked to it, and I was just kind of like looking at the painting, and the red stripe down the middle spoke and boomed. It was like a pillar of fire. Yeah. You know, like out of, I don't know, <laughs> um, the Ten Commandments, kind of like, and it like resonated for me. And I was just, I was overwhelmed. Now, why, how did this change me as a person? It's more difficult to say, but simply to say that I was uh, kind of open to the idea that you could have, that art could give you uh, these kinds of, spiritual experiences because mm. it really felt like that to me and I thought those 2.1 or whatever it was million dollars were well spent, spent. I, I've seen the painting too and, and there it does there's almost a, a vibration to it mm -hmm. just the way the the, 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 the colors work colors, yeah. they work together it is if, if you see it um, just flat on a computer screen it doesn't have that same effect no it's it's experiencing that painting I, I I know what you're saying it's really neat so that wow. was one <laughs> cool number five mm. still me still oh, you good thing we write down who is telling this asking the questions it's your show <laughs> it's the Wilton show, show. <laughs> what author or book has had a profound Im impact on you and why another super difficult question right because so many so many authors mm -hmm. so many books um, but the one that the one that uh, came to me was a book that I I found in my high school library um, and it was called The Matrix of Modernism um, by a man named Sanford Schwartz and its subtitle is uh, Pound Eliot and Early 20th Century Philosophy mm. and the reason so I was like this this book I, I don't think had any business being in my high school library so I think whoever whichever librarian ordered it but um, it brought me to Trent and yeah. uh, because I you know I would have gone to uh, some other school and done like a, a double major in English and philosophy but then I discovered this book and I was like what is this this is all my favorite stuff it was uh, I was a huge uh, Ezra Pound fan in mm -hmm. high school um, and of course T.S. Eliot by by association um, but you know it was uh, Bergson and Husserl and Nietzsche uh, the philosophers that I also really liked and they combined it and I was like this this is per this is what I want to do and so I did some research and f found that and the only place in the country, in fact, in North America at the time, was Trent, which they, where they did that kind of work, which was cultural studies. Yeah. And mm. so I came to Trent for cultural studies. Okay. So who, that, is your, who 
Who are some of your profs in cultural studies? Uh, well, Jonathan Bordeaux was my right. um, was my seminar leader in first year, okay. so I was quite fortunate in that way uh, because he was very kind to me. I wasn't the best student, um, and uh, so he was a huge influence and remains a close friend today. Um, and uh, the other uh, big professor who I kind of became uh, a student of was uh, Juja Barosh, um, who has since left the school, but she was uh, a huge influence later on in like third and fourth year. Okay. This is another great thing about Peterborough. We, every show we uncover other things that are wonderful about this place and the gem of Trent University and the caliber of the educators there. Uh, Trent brought me here. Trent, well, you were here, but you went to Trent, Carol. But I, I'm also a cultural studies major as well, English and cultural mm -hmm. studies, and and I took know. history and philosophy and the education program, right? And mm -hmm. uh, and I remember in my first year, you were saying that you, uh, I think there was a lot of us that weren't great students in that first yeah. year. I remember the the load of reading and writing, mm -hmm. uh, reading and writing to do for English and history and philosophy. But being very excited about it was almost like my brain opening up mm -hmm. uh, to to these ideas that uh, I hadn't thought about before, and uh, I th I think something that kept me in Peterborough was actually being just very grateful to yeah. the awakening for me hmm. uh, that Trent gave me through my great profs that I had there. Uh, Chris Green was uh, oh, a yeah. big one for me, and Freddie Hagar, and um, uh, I don't know those. Uh, yeah, yeah, they were. We're a little bit older We're than you. Yeah, just a bit. Just a bit. <laughs> yeah. We went to Trent at the same time, but we okay. really we didn't really know each no, other. We no. knew of each other. Mm -hmm. In the eighties. In the eighties. Yeah. yeah. Bob Carter was a philosophy prof. Bob and uh, Michael Neufeld and right. um He was still there when I was there, yeah. Who else? Sean Kane. Well, just all great profs and a lot great of them profs. were Americans that had yeah. I think left because of the Vietnam War in the 60s and uh, had come to <clears throat> come to Peterborough and uh, we benefited from it here mm -hmm. in this community. Well, another wine question. Mm -hmm. Question number six. Mm -hmm. And it's still me, Carol. See how I set this up? <laughs> Chris, I, I really do feel like it is the Wilton show. <laughs> yes. And, um, so we'll see you later. Should I move closer? <laughs> what could make, or what just, could bring me in just, a little bit? I've given you question seven. Just change, I could change my name. I've given you question seven. Actually, I have a cousin named Carol Wilton. There you go. Number six, what wine would you recommend <laughs> for under $20? And tell us what is great about that wine for under $20. So the first thing I want to say to answer this question is that, is that what you need to do when you're buying wine under $20 is buy different wine. So, and don't buy, so many people, I think it's really intimidating when you walk into an LCBO store or any wine store and see so many different wines. Yeah. And you don't know what to get. And so I think a lot of people, they find a wine that they like and then they stick with it. And for me, that would be like eating the same thing for dinner every night. Right. Because there's, or reading, watching the same movie over and over. Do you know what I mean? Like for me, uh, and I understand the kind of, you know, the safety and the kind of pleasure that you can get from having the same thing over and over. But um, for me, it's all about exploration. I will never be able to taste all the wine in the world. Yeah. Never. So I'm always just buying new wine. Um, so I, there's no, there's no one 
hard recommendation I have, but there is a, a wine that I that I, I love and I bought recently, and it's the Michele Chiarlo Barbera d'Asti. Um, so this is from Piemonte, um, the home uh, in the in the in the north uh, west of Italy um, of Barolo. And Michele Chiarlo is um, one of the best producers. Michele is now I don't know in his late nineties. He's not really doing much, but his son. His two sons run the business, uh, and uh, the winemaker is Stefano. And I've had the pleasure of spending uh, several visits with him um, in Italy. And he's just a lovely, he's a large man. He's very full of life, and they make some of the best wine in Italy. Uh, this is not uh, the top of the line for them. This is kind of like the entry level. Um, but uh, So Barolo is made from uh, Nebbiolo. Um, and Barbera d'Asti is Barbera. So there's a big difference between these grapes. Barbera is very acidic. It's very uh, fresh. It's got a lot of red fruits. Um, it's the perfect pizza wine. And in fact, that's often what I, if I, it's one of the wines that I will buy more than once. It's mm. kind of what I'm saying. Yeah. Mm. I think it's like 1675 nice in the song. store. Um, and it has, um, so <laughs> uh, Asti is, is the town. That's nearby. So whenever you have the the D apostrophe, it means Barbera of Asti. Um, you'll also see um, Barbera d'Alba, but the problem with Barbera d'Alba is that all the best sites are reserved for the Nebbiolo grape, which is considered superior. Mm. And so the Barbera sits on the poorer slopes, uh, whereas in Asti, Barbera is king, and so Barbera gets the best spot. So mm. I always say buy Barbera d'Asti, not d'Alba. Uh, but on the label is. Um, a picture of these uh, three trees that sit on top of this hill um, and uh, Stefano and in fact the whole Chiarlo family had this huge party there and it was one of the best times of my life um, on the hill of these three trees they've had an artist set up what they call the fire site so this is a little recall back to Barnett Newman mm. um, and it's you know it basically is this amazing thing but it's really to capture the Sun um, it's, it's kind of like a shrine, an artistic shrine. Um, and it was just, it's, so whenever I see it, I'm reminded of that time. So I always buy right, it. Right, right. <laughs> um, but so that would be, that would be the one I would recommend for you to buy. It is in vintages. So it's, but it goes there fairly regularly. It just means the supply is not as consistent. Yeah. So it's important to understand how the, how the board works. Um, when you go into a store and then you have all the big middle which we call the general list, the GL. And those are the wines that are always in stock. Always the ones. And the ones that say and then And then the vintages ones are the ones that come in occasionally. And they come in smaller quantities. Okay. And what's the big difference with that? Is that the ones in the general list have to come from industrial producers. Mm. Yeah. Because they need to supply the LCBO and all the LCBO stores. And that's a lot of wine. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So... Yeah that immediately gives you a way to kind of think about yeah. the wine in the stores. It's kind of like, oh, if they if this wine needs to be in every LCBO store in Ontario, there's got to be a whole lot of it, as opposed to this little wine that has, you know, a limited production, yeah. uh, maybe is from a smaller winery or... People... I started getting the Vintages magazine sent to my house mm. uh, and, and discovered... Uh, what you were suggesting is to try a different one every time. 
mm-hmm. and, and sort of is like a kid in a candy store. Yeah. You know, what's what's gonna what's gonna happen when yeah. I try this one and what and have a little bit of fun trying trying it with different cheeses? Yeah, or that's how I started my journey for sure. Yeah. But I just you, never stopped. And, and what's the what's the company? It's called Small Winemakers. Yeah, so right? I'm a wine sales rep for the Small Winemakers Collection. Okay. Yeah, so we import wine from all over the world and principally deal with small family wineries. Okay, and you yeah. seem to have like a real affinity with Italy. Well, Italian yeah. Wine. I mean, I've traveled to Italy a few times, mm-hmm. so that's one of the reasons. Um, and then if you look at our portfolio of the small winemakers, it is largely Italy you know so in a seven page portfolio three pages are Italy okay so yeah. we definitely concentrate on Italy um, and there's the thing about Italy is that there's so much to discover mm-hmm. you know um, so can people purchase wine through you Chris? yes yeah so I, I I sell wine to directly to restaurants oh, okay um, and the AGCO law is that uh, we have to sell uh, by the case they won't let us sell individual bottles or mixed yeah. cases. But of course, uh, you know, we, I do have private clients. <clears throat> but of course, you know, somebody who's buying a case of wine needs to have a little bit of disposable income. But I have had, you know, even friends of mine who don't make a lot of money buy cases of wine and they split it yeah. amongst yeah. themselves. I think, we, I think through my friend Nancy, we did that once. Yeah, Nancy did you, buy yeah. a, a case of Sandhill Syrah. From, yeah, from and we bought some from yeah. her. Okay. Well, and now that it's your show, I know I can do whatever I want. You can buy the case of wine yeah. and yeah. celebrate your show, Can't Chris. Wait. So good that you're here this morning. You're down to the last question, Carol. Number seven, Chris. What do you love about Peterborough? What keeps you here? So many answers. Um, I love many things about Peterborough. So I've left Peterborough twice and come back. I came back the first time for a cat. Hmm. <laughs> I've got a cat you can have. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about Phil Oakley earlier. Um, I was out west and I left my cat, cow cat. With Phil? With Phil. And Phil messaged me out west and said, Chris, come and get your cat. <gasps> <clears throat> I don't want to take care of your cat anymore. <laughs> and, uh, and I didn't want to put the cat on a plane because I was kind of ensconced out there. Mm. Um, and so I came back to get the cat and kind of tie up all my loose ends in Peterborough. And then I met Melinda. Mm. That'll do it. Yeah. Transformation. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and then Melinda and I went to Toronto and we were kind of building a life there. And then we decided to start a family. And then we moved back to Peterborough because she's from Peterborough. Oh, and her parents are here. Okay. And, you know, that's, it's not just, they are kind of invaluable to us in our lives, but it's not um, just the help that they provide. It's merely the experience and connection that the boys have with them. Because yeah. that's, that, that you, you cannot buy. No. That. And so that's, that's the prince. So family is yeah. one of the things yeah. that keeps me in Peterborough. You know, we have family dinners every weekend. That's so nice. nice. Yeah. I think that's super important. Mm-hmm. You know, I think, I think, you know, <clears throat> a, a citizen is born at the dinner table, yeah. I think, yeah. or made there. Mm. Right. Um, so, but what I love about, it, I love so many things about Peter, you know, I do a lot of work in Toronto um, and 
Peter Bros close enough that I can do that. Mm-hmm. But I don't like living in Toronto. Yeah. Um, I love um, our proximity to uh, all of the wild parts of Ontario. You know, um, we have so many great parks so close by. Um, I love rocks, trees, and water. You know, mm-hmm. it's just, you know, it's funny talking about being out west. They're so, they're so kind of environmental or naturalistically chauvinistic out there, right? They think, oh, right. why would you, why would you go back to Ontario? Right. You yeah. Know? And it's just like, for me, Ontario is much more beautiful than British Columbia. Uh, but you know, it's it's so much more subtle. It's an older landscape, right? Mm-hmm. The mountains have been worn down to little smooth nubs, and and it's not so. <clears throat> I don't know, in ostentatious, yeah. yeah, in your face as yeah. BC. Um, but there's something so, you know, when I look, when I'm, because I drive a lot from for my job, um, you know, and look out over at the rolling farmland or whatever. It's Beautiful, just, yeah, right? Yeah, it's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. And it's like yeah. five minutes, right? I mean, and I mean, I would see you with your boys when you lived down Murray, going mm, to Jackson Park, yes. right? To go in yeah. crayfish hunting and yeah. all of those things mm-hmm. right and it's it is it's so we're so close to nature um my daughter grace just wrote an essay about going to Cortha nordic as a mm. kid the pilgrimage up to Cortha yeah. nordic on a sunday morning you know so happy not to have to go to the roman catholic church but to get mm. the car and go up to the as she described the cathedral kind of, of yeah. you know of fir trees and it is, it's so close, right? And um, I grew up in uh, downtown Toronto, and to get out for a day in nature was a huge undertaking. Family of four kids, so six of us all together. And uh, here in Peterborough, you know, we're out on the lake in five minutes if we need to be. Yeah. yeah. It's just yeah. so lovely. Yeah. It's beautiful. Carol, wow. we're done. It's great to see you. Thanks yeah. for coming on such short notice. Thank you for having well, me. Well, I mean, we. We, we wanted to have you come, we thought, and we thought, what if we push it up really quick and see yeah. if you'll come for uh, and talk about wine for Valentine's. And yeah. thank you and so much. And we'll post some of these ideas, on, uh, the, the wine ideas, on the website so yeah. people can see them and through our Twitter and our Instagram. And that's and great. And we've got you, you, your pronunciation. We've got yeah, that, so there, yeah, just, there's, there's uh, lots of there's lots of funny, funny spellings, so I can write them down for you yeah, beautiful so. very nice <laughs> thanks so much Good to yeah. see you thanks Chris bye alright hey Carol I really enjoyed talking to Christopher Wilton today boy he is a guy that has such a deep knowledge of wines literature the arts it was so fascinating i actually want to listen to the program a couple times with a pencil and a paper to just to write down some of the things he's saying yeah he's one of those people whenever i see him he says something that's memorable that sticks with me and today he said a citizen is born at the dinner table and i think that's something that uh i'm going to be thinking about yeah me too and if you want more memories listeners go to ptbo.ca and there you'll find uh, some pictures and some ideas from the show we just had today. And of course, you can access all the other shows we've done. And if you want to follow us on Instagram and Twitter, we are at PTBO7. Thanks, Thanks for, for joining, joining us. us.